Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly marriage hour today on Trending. We're going to unpack why waiting till marriage to engage in intimacy makes for healthier and happier marriages. We'll talk about chastity and its important role in marriage. We'll unpack, I think, an interesting comparison between the idea where many people are up in arms right now over the idea of genital mutilation, and some people even compare it to Catholic views of sexuality and the control religion has over people's sexual choices. Coming up, I'll also unpack a really interesting topic that I found fascinating with the rise of many people uh, delaying or waiting until later to get married and the difficulty to find a spouse in those later years. I was reading an article about whether or not you are a type A woman and what you need in a spouse if you are a type A individual. And I thought it was fascinating because it also made me think about the challenges that can arise within the context of marriage once you're already married, when that type A personality of a female with the husband can be challenging. So we'll talk about what to need if you're not married yet and you have a type A personality and some things to work on if you're married in that personality that is a gift, a God-given gift, but can also become a little difficult in your marriage. We'll talk about tempering that and finding virtue within the context. Dating, relationships, and marriage, it's the hour. So if you have a question, we'd be happy to take it. one 914 Joining me now is Pam Stenzel, the founder of Enlightened Communications. She travels the world speaking to hundreds of thousands of people every single year on the topic of abstinence education. Today we're going to unpack the topic of why saving sex for marriage is so important, especially with many young people going back to university, starting up a new year's in school, and the rise in singleness and sexual promiscuity outside of marriage. That question of why wait till marriage is an important one. Does it make for healthier and happier marriages? It was interesting with all of the polling that was done over the last few years with the most recent census, many young adults believe that marrying closer to the age of 30 reduces the risk of divorce. And indeed, they think that that makes for better and more successful marriages. But the research doesn't show that. And to dive into what really does protect and strengthen future marriages is Pam Stenzel here to join me today. Pam, welcome to Trending. Timory, good to be back with you. Pam, let's talk about a recent study that I thought was fascinating. The Institute for Family Studies showed this religious paradox that there's a rise in young uh, faith-filled individuals, Christians, who are choosing to get married at a very young age. And what we're seeing is those are marriages that are showing higher results of happiness and basically bulletproof marriages. 
What's your initial reaction when you hear this, especially the fact that these couples are choosing not to engage in premarital sex and not to cohabitate? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because this is not new. Uh, in fact, two decades ago, in the early 2000s, th this exact same research was done and they found exactly the same thing. And uh, Campus Crusade at the time went, went did a huge, and some, some people who are maybe a little bit older than you, Timory, um, will remember that they did a huge deal on college campuses saying for the best sex, wear this. And they showed a, a, a young man and young woman in wedding attire, or they would show wedding bands that, that for the life of me look like condoms if from a distance, which was interesting. <laughs> and it was, it was kind of meant to be shocking on the college campus at the time. And they just couldn't understand these researchers just could not understand how every time they did these studies, that the people who were having the best sex were religious married women who were monogamous. And so mm -hmm. it's so funny that we come back here 20, probably a decade, two decades later. And, and to the shock of many, the research is, is showing the same. And a lot of it really goes back to, I, I think the plan, see the, the reality is, is a culture in probably the last 40 years, we've rejected God's design and purpose for sex and we've turned it into some recreational sport. And, and sex is, has been completely void of any meaning. And we think that sex can be recreational. We can have it with whomever, whenever we want. We can be uh, polyamorous. We can have a thruple now. We can, we can you know, go back and forth between you know, same sex and opposite sex and, and every other imaginable thing. And, mm -hmm. and that somehow that kind of experimentation is going to, to bring, uh, you know, intimacy and fill that void, right? But the reality is the only thing that fills that void is, is true in intimacy. And sex is not true intimacy. Sex should be the expression of true intimacy that exists. And, and as uh, John Paul II just so beautifully put, put in, and one of the reasons why I'm a a convert to the faith, by the way, is the teachings of John Paul II specifically in, um, in, in on life and and uh, theology of the body, is that we were all of us created in the image of God, and when we understand our inherent worth and that in that image we're created for relationship and intimacy, that there's no more intimate relationship than the Trinity itself, and the reality is that when we step outside of that and treat people like animals without the respect and honor that they deserve as image bearers. And then we treat each other that way. We, we get treated that way that what we're left with is emptiness. And, and, and the, it, I, I think some of this turning that you're seeing from this generation is a full on rejection of 30 to 40 years of cultural mm -hmm. views on, on sex and marriage. Right. Of being lied to. I mean, of outright being lied to. And it's interesting because, as you mentioned, this is not new information. This is what has been consistent in science validating the human design of the human person by God since the beginning. And studies just happen to come out, you know, every few years to help reinitiate the truth of that reality that marriage is made for one man and one woman and the intimacy sex is made for the context of marriage. It's fascinating. I remember seeing uh, um, a conversation where a young man was going onto the streets and talking to millennials. And as the statistics show, millennials are having less sex and less satisfying 
insects than prior generations. And they're in the same respect, they're engaging in it less and uh, less frequently and less enjoyable than people who are married. And the young man went around interviewing and telling people that on the streets in Southern California. And people's jaws kind of just dropped going, what? Like this was a total anomaly to them. And I think it's because of what you mentioned earlier, the uh, de-Christianization of our nation has led to the lack of purpose and clarity of what we do with the body in the great gift intimacy is uh, within the context of a loving relationship. Uh, not that that is the beginning thing of what you do when you first meet someone who you might be interested in. Correct. And, and, and then we're kind of throwing the word sex and intimacy uh, around simultaneously. But the, the reality is this intimacy sex comes out of intimacy. Sex doesn't create it, the cart before the horse kind of thing. And, and, and I think for a couple of generations now, and certainly um, this last one, they kind of thought, well, we'll jump into bed. We'll, we'll do the sex part. And then we'll see if we can create intimacy out of that. And, and it clearly didn't work. And, and especially for our young women, they were left. So, you know, because, and this is also unpopular and, among this generation, but women and men are very different. And it's not just about body parts or genitalia. We're different in our brains. We're different in the way we function. And, and the reality is, is that for, for women, this concept that they could be like men and just, you know, just have random sex with random people, multiple, multiple partners, and never care whether any relationship ever, ever developed out of it has left our, uh, an entire probably at least decade, if not two, of of women just just horribly depressed and and not able yes. to to form the bonds that they're looking for. And I, I work now at the University of Florida. I have a pregnancy resource clinic there at the University of Florida in Gainesville. And and th these last couple of years, we're seeing so many interesting things. And what, one of the things with this generation as well, and I think this isn't just a, a uh, our cultural thing, not just the United States thing, and they're, they're seeing it all over Western Europe and Asia as well, is that this generation has turned to pornography yes. uh, so strongly and, and, mm -hmm. and from younger ages that they're unwilling to actually engage in real physical relationships. Right. They're, they're, right. they're, they're deciding that no relationship is worth it at all. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of the young women I'm talking to is, is part of them would like to have a relationship, but the reality is the young men that they're encountering have been so damaged by literally yes. years of pornography use that they have no idea how to even form a relationship or treat mm -hmm. women in a healthy manner. Right. And the girls don't know how to attract the men or to maintain those relationships. You know, it's interesting because I know you've spoken a lot to the statistics over the last few years showing that there's far greater or far, sorry, far less sexual engagement within the context of high school within that age range. But once you enter into the college years, that's where you see these numbers go off the charts and more young people are virgins still in high school. But I think like you're saying, it's due to the rise of pornography, the unrealistic expectations the uh, fact that people are just enjoying, you know, and getting their fix via social media and they don't know how to function and interact with people. But then once you get into those college years, there's such a severe level of experimentation and sleeping around that these girls are, one, trying to meet unrealistic standards that the young men have for them. 
And then they are the ones who suffer far worse when it comes to the sexually transmitted disease fallout than any man does today. Right, which is another thing that we're not allowed to say anymore, too, that because we are biologically different, uh, the STI infection rate is astronomical. In fact, the the CDC put out put out its stats for 2020 in April of this year. They were a little bit further behind than they normally are. And of course, they use COVID as an excuse. But but we were really expecting to see a, a, a marked difference in the STI infection rate in 2020, mostly because in the middle of a pandemic, nobody was going to the doctor to be checked for anything at all. Much, you know what I mean? It was like, you, you didn't go to the doctor unless you were being tested for COVID. So, you know, it was, it was kind of, we were expecting this lower number. And what's happened is you saw the CDC reported, we saw a dip from like March, April, maybe May, May that second quarter, s- slightly into the third quarter in the the numbers of STI infections. But by the end of 2020, by that fourth quarter, we had met and exceeded the the rates from 2019 once again. And so a a lot of that, what what that tells me too about STI reporting rates is that there are a lot more STIs out there than even the CDC is reporting because they can't possibly, everybody's not getting tested. So there's no way you can know who's actually infected on a particular campus if everyone is not getting routinely tested for that for that virus or, or that uh, bacterial infection. So, so it, again, we go back to it with these college girls, it's like uh, out of the 30 major STDs that we're dealing with today in astronomical numbers, vast majority of STI, new STI infections are people between the ages of 15 and 24. So that's our kind of our, you know, bullseye target group that we're, that are dealing with most of these, um, that out of the 30 major STDs we're dealing with, 26 of them primarily damage women. And so mm-hmm. if if our girls don't understand that going into decisions being made about sexual activity, that, that at the end of the day, they're the one who is going to be paying the highest price with infertility and pelvic inflammatory disease and, and all of these issues that can affect their ability to have children, cancers of the cervix, hysterectomies at very young ages, all of these things, then the, the reality is, you know, they... they you can't go at 28 or 29 or 30. I wish I would have known that when I was, you know, a freshman in college, they've got to know these things before they get into that. And that kind of brings into another thing too, is that I'm still astounded by it. And whether it's media or, um, you know, if you get a chance to watch some of these crazy shows, sometimes they're my guilty pleasure. I shouldn't probably admit it, but Shows like Married at First Sight and 90 Day Fiance and things like these. I, there is a, a good generation of young women, Terry, that still believe that that you can put off marriage and having children till you're in your 40s. And right. It's no big deal. When you're ready to get to right. get pregnant, you'll just be able to get pregnant. And Zero they truly concept. that. Right. They truly believe that, Pam. And I think that's what's frightening is that to such an extent they believe that they've been lied to, whether they're told you freeze your eggs beforehand or you quickly harvest your eggs when you decide you're ready and then you can, you know, take your time maybe trying to find the right genetic makeup or the right partner that you might uh, mirror your dates or move in with. I'm astounded because it's breaking 
the hearts of these women and universally from the United States to all over the Western uh, world, the developed world, we see it all over Europe that the cry from everywhere from the United States to Italy to Denmark is that women are saying, I wish I had more children. I wish I had more children. And that's in hindsight. The lie of the 21st century, the lie of the luster of career, it's really broken many, many women today. And it's leading to no marriages or very broken marriages when they do begin because the focus is so wrapped up on this infertility crisis or having a child that the spouses are not united. It's just focused on, well, let me get a child out of you today. Yeah. Well, and then talk about sex going from just a recreational sport and having no meaning to now sex just being, just give me a baby and, and again, losing the meaning and the beauty that it was intended to, to be in marriage as well. So you're right. And you know, the lie that was given at two generations of women that they could just, they could just put off being a wife and a mother forever and, and that their job would fulfill them. The cubicle would fulfill them. And that, and, and that, you know, whenever they wanted later after they'd achieved all this success in the real world, so to speak, that they could experience motherhood and, and, and being a wife. And it's just, just devastating what that sold a generation. And so to be able to go back to, to our kids today, you know, and say, you know what, the world's going to lie to you. They're going to tell you that that corporation is worth giving your life to it. And it's not. And, and, and no matter what you do to earn a living, that, that being a wife and a mother will far outseed any success you could ever have in any other realm. Amen. Amen. And this is the story that women need to hear. This is the truth. And this is what leads to healthy, happy marriages and relationships. That's Pam Stenzel here on Trending with Timory. If you've supported us during our pledge drive, thank you so much for all that you've done to pray for and financially support us here at Relevant Radio. If you'd like to still make a tax-deductible donation, feel free to call us at one 877 to still make that donation or by donating online at relevantradio.com or pledge through the Relevant Radio app. I'll be right back here on Trending with Tim Ray to talk with Pam Stenzel about the importance of abstinence, chastity, and the future of marriage for young people today. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's our weekly marriage hour today on Trending, and we're talking about why wait till marriage to have sex. What are the benefits? Happier, healthier relationships? Yes, we'll go into more detail on that in just a moment, but we were just talking with Pam Stenzel about the fallout of sexually transmitted diseases, the increase in infertility, and and the natural increase in natural infertility as age goes on and women are told you can get married and have children in your 40s and have it all, and then they discover they can't. Fertility doesn't function the same way. So tomorrow on Trending, I'm going to answer a question that, believe it or not, I'm asked 
all the time by women ranging from their 20s to 40s due to this rise in infertility. And the question is this, Timory, how can I get pregnant? To which I know many of you would giggle and probably give a lot of advice if need be. Pizza and beer might be one of those pieces of advice. But we're going to talk with a fertility specialist tomorrow in Trending to talk about treating underlying health issues and the practical how-to from supplements to diet that can help in the face of growing infertility and other medical health issues getting in the way. So join me tomorrow with Dr. Susan Caldwell. Joining me now is Pam Stenzel. She's the founder of Enlightened Communication. She travels the world speaking to hundreds of thousands of young people in particular on the topic of absence education and she works running multiple crisis pregnancy centers in Florida helping women who are facing the challenges of broken relationships so choosing sex outside of marriage. Pam I'd like to dive into some of the health consequences. We talked a little bit about sexually transmitted diseases but why is it healthier physically to wait until you're married to have sex? Well, obviously, you know, the STI situation is at epidemic. And, and so massive STI infections, some of them are viral, which means you, you get them, you have them forever. Um, they're not going away. They can affect you differently, but they're, they're in your body. And I, I'll, I'll never forget this one. Um, it was a youth minister. I was at a conference really for youth ministers specifically, and I finished speaking and a a young wife came to me and she was just, she was just beside herself and wanted to speak privately. Well, that's really hard to do, Timmy, as you know, when you're speaking in a a public setting and they just kind of pull you to one side, it's like, this isn't going to be private. So I agreed to meet her at the hotel that next morning before I flew out and left so we could have a private conversation. And she said to me, the first thing she said to me when we sat down for breakfast that morning, she said, I was a virgin when I got married. And I, you know, I'm like, that's awesome. And then she said, my husband was not. And he was the, the one who was the youth minister. And I, I stopped her really quick. And I said, did he tell you? I mean, did you know that information? Hopefully, you know, that wasn't something that got sprung on her after she made the decision to marry him. And she said, yeah, he, that she was aware of it. And then two years after they married, she became pregnant and ended up with massive condyloma as a result of uh, infection with human papillomavirus, which is a Mm -hmm. virus that he had been carrying, obviously, from decisions he made as a teenager, unbeknownst to him. Uh, He never had any issues with the virus, and it was just her. And and it's, it's typical sometimes with this virus, herpes can work the same way as well, is that the pregnancy hormones kind of kicked that virus that she was carrying because of her husband into kind of full gear. And she ended up with all of these warts basically in on her genital area. She had to have them burned off three or four different times throughout her pregnancy. And then she ended up having to have a C-section because we couldn't risk infecting the baby with a vaginal delivery. So this young mother was was angry and bitter and I saw it written all over her. And, and she's, you know, I did the right thing and I'm the one suffering. And I remember having to look at her and say, you knew. And, and, and the vows mm. that you said were for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health. And this little boy, your son, needs his father. And, and, and having this situation ruin your marriage out of bitterness and anger isn't going to help. And the other reality is if she divorced him and married someone else does not change the reality that she's carrying this infection and would continue to carry it and possibly pass it on in another relationship. 
So, I mean, these are the kind of situations that are very real consequences of decisions made way before we ever meet the person that we make a sacramental marriage commitment to. And, and these are things that have to be discussed and understood. You know, I've always said, I never did talk to, to this young uh, wife's husband. I never had any conversation with him at all. And, but I have wondered for so long, what could we have said to that young man when he was sitting at a Catholic high school or sitting at his public school or sitting in his youth group when he was 16 years old that would have helped him to realize that the long-term consequences of these things, are, it might not be him that carries it, it could be his wife. And what is that gonna do to your relation, to your marriage? And, and um, th these are just things that are, I don't think our young people uh, have been told they don't understand. They're not thinking down the road, and 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 the reality is these are conversations that have to be had and things that need to be thought about way before we get to twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven when we're considering marriage. Wow, it's a story that not many people are hearing the reality of that these wounds coming into marriage are hurting both spouses, both mm -hmm. the one who saves himself from marriage and the one. Who doesn't? And it's leading to many, many challenges and uh, rise in infertility, you know, unexpected because of a contracted STD or STI, uh, the the challenges of carrying the scars of these sexually transmitted diseases for years. And this is a real life example of the pain and sorrow and the need and importance. I'm so glad you mentioned it, Pam, for honesty and integrity of sharing that ahead of time and knowing the risks. Uh, because like you said, those marital vows, when you are fully informed of your spouse's you know, risk and and having had sexually transmitted diseases and been sexually active before marriage, you know, you are saying those vows that in sickness and in health, indeed, you will still be there. And this is the medical fallout of a culture where I think that in some ways, so many people don't realize how guilty we all are are of it and being so permissive from the television we ourselves watch uh, to the literature we're okay and the music we're okay with that all of this is feeding that culture that is leading to these wounds but at the same time we're saying well i believe in saving sex for marriage but the cultural uh, things from tv to music that we're engaging in doesn't say the same thing and give the same type of influence correct and and then the reality is that they never show or very rarely will show the, the, the real consequences at the end. You just see what looks like fun at the beginning. And, and I think because I've spent most of my, uh, my ministry in the last 30 some years speaking to mostly middle school and high school students, um, it, it kind of goes back to theologically to growing up thinking that God's boundaries, his rules, the 10 commandments are, are just, there to ruin our weekend and wreck our fun. And, and, and God just doesn't want us to, you know, the freedom, you know, they, they kind of made the freedom to go out and do all of these things sound like fun and exciting and, and freedom in, in a sense. But the reality is that self-control and, and, and the ability for you to, 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 to have chastity as a virtue and, and honoring God's commandments because you love him and you know that his, commandments are there because he loves you and wants the best for you that that that's what brings freedom that's that's what brings freedom for all from all of these things that we've just talked about freedom from pain freedom from uh, abandonment freedom from uh being used and, and cast aside freedom from from sexual transmitted infections that could affect your 
your ability to have children, your marriage, your, your sexuality. So I, I think, I think we have to kind of flip this for especially young people so that they see the boundaries as being God's immense love and that walking in those boundaries and walking with that self-control and that and and living a life of chastity it, it is what gives you the the greatest love that that your heart's really after you know and and part of that too is just trusting god that 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 when i do what he's asked me to do and i practice this virtue that that god's going to fill the deepest desires of my heart and 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 that he's going to he's he's enough you know, there's a, a worship song that the, the students love to sing. Like, like he, he's, he is enough. He's all I need. Jesus, you're all I need. And I'm like, do you really believe that? Or are you saying that now? And then you're going to run out here and believe that all of these other relationships you're chasing, those things are really what are going to meet the deepest needs of your heart. Hmm. Amen. Pam, we have a question coming in. I'd like to take that dives into the context of marriage, but I think also addresses the overall issue of the over-sexualization um, and how blasé and vulgar we become with, with sexuality yeah. today. Sarah's on the line from Chicago. Sarah, welcome to Trending. What's your question for Pam and I today? Hello. Thanks for taking the call. Something I've always wondered, what was... Um, God's true intention for um, the act that creates life. Mm -hmm. It seems it has become so, like even in the basic family, that inappropriate things are being done. And I can't believe that that's what God wanted. Like, is it, is it written anywhere? What, like even as far as like, I don't, want to offend anybody you know like the different things that people do you know what right. i mean oral engagement that like, people are engaging in in marriage yes. and yes. Yep. and positions and mm -hmm. they seem so dishonorable to the beauty of the purpose and right. i just wondered you know is there do they teach like in pre-cana i never married um wanted to but just never met the right guy but um, so I don't know about Precana. Do they teach what is allowed and what is not, what is encouraged and what is not? Like, do people even right. know? Right. Sarah, I think this is such an important topic and one that I think is not discussed or often discussed well within the church. Pam, I'd like to hear your initial thoughts and then I'll dive into it as well. Yeah. Quickly, my first thoughts are this and that we, we don't do a lot in Precana. I got to tell you, I was, I, I, I'm a, a convert. So I was actually, I was a student at Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, met my husband there. He was Catholic, but was a student at Moody and his parents were very involved in marriage encounter. And so even before I was Catholic, we went as probably the only two non-Catholics to a, an engaged encounter, if any of the, the listeners are familiar with that. And it was interesting because I had the greatest talk with the priest there where he looked at, at us as Bible college students and said, you probably know more than all of the couples that I have dealing with here. And, and, and you, you, I think you have to look at God's design from the beginning in Genesis and, and really study that and understand that man, you know, Adam was created first and, and God said this, he, he needs a helpmate. 
and created women a woman just especially for him and we're very different in our design is that help make understanding that another wonderful study is to do it to study song of solomon and uh, again john paul too had beautiful uh, some beautiful things written on the song of solomon where that it's just sexuality in its purity and and it, it it's about the lover and being desired and and how beautiful that is so the problem is that we've our culture has so made sex pornographic that what happens is if we have couples who have never understood God's design and the image bearing that we all are and 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 the and the song of Solomon and then I'm even going to go into the New Testament if you remember where where the church is called we're called the bride of Christ he is our groom there's a reason for that language and in in sex the way God designed it, women are being entered. We have to completely surrender. That's what makes women vulnerable, and 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 they're being entered by the groom. And even in our spiritual sense in a relationship, we we surrender ourselves to to Christ, our groom, and we say, "Enter me," and and we literally take. Christ in our body. So I know for some of you, this might be like, oh my goodness, how did we let this former evangelical have such a <laughs> discussion? But but this is the, this is the imagery of, of the New Testament and there's a reason for it. But when you take someone who hasn't been formed in, in their theology and, and doesn't understand scripture and doesn't understand the catechism, doesn't understand uh, all of these things spiritually and all they know of sex is pornography and even if it's not the horrible pornography that that's so accessible today the the simple soft porn that we would call it that we're seeing on television and really and all of these things how, how do you all of a sudden sex itself becomes dirty and horrible and that is never the intention sex was intended mm -hmm. to be something beautiful and to be a reflection of humans, a reflection of, of the the oneness of the Trinity, and and the and when it's not that, then it damages that. Let me just tell you, and Timur, you can join in in just a second. But but the, the enemy of your soul, Satan himself, knows that if he can destroy you at the level of sexuality, destroy your vision and understanding of sexuality, that he can destroy your soul. That's why Saint Paul said in Corinthians, "Flee sexual immorality." All other sins are outside of your body, but he or she who sins sexually sins against your own body. And then don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This is so serious because it damages you to this, the absolute core of your soul. Amen. I, I want to dive into this topic and continue to, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. That's Pam Stenzel from Enlightened Communication, top chassis education um, speaker in the world, truly one of the top and works with women in crisis pregnancy. Sarah's question, a little ears warning, it's our weekly marriage hour and this is a delicate topic and one that does need to be addressed. Sarah's question had to do with that dicey topic of oral sex within the context of marriage. And 
before I unpack it too far with kind of some concrete um, steps, I think it's important to first recognize, and Pam, you hit it on the head, uh, just the pornographic dimension of our culture and that we are thinking of things that should be unfathomable, that um, the pressure of men on women uh, to do things and the women's acceptance of it today, even within the context of marriage, is unacceptable. There was a study uh, that came out from the Journal of Sex Medicine that's titled The Relative Health Benefits of Different Sexual Activities by Dr. Stuart Brody. And in that, it talks about how coitus, the completed sexual act, not other sexual activities, is the most healthy thing to engage in. To be really clear, and we could talk about oral anal, all these different kinds of engagement, but the truth of the matter is what is most healthy for the body is one man, one woman waiting till marriage and engaging in intimacy and not all of this experimentation. And to my great dismay, and Pam, I know you've seen this as well, I think that We've lost a sense of modesty, even within the context of marriage, due to the pornographic culture we live in. Um, And I've seen, unfortunately, even at the highest levels of people, you know, chastity speakers that, you know, have been incredible in speaking to audiences who have uh, okayed and said that it's fine to do things within marriage that don't quite seem to fit with what the church teaches. And this is one of those moments where it's refreshing because people will say, well, where is it written down? Some of the earlier church did talk about this and debate it. And actually, some did actually get into detail. And it's a topic I'll have to put together, maybe a written piece one of these uh, days soon over to help give that written clarity. But I think first and foremost, if we apply the moral principle of understanding the Catholic church teaches that every sexual act is meant to be both unitive and procreative. And we take that approach into marriage. And we take that approach into those most intimate physical parts of our marriages that we understand that the some of the things that people are being pressured to or thinking about engaging in, those aren't entirely unitive and procreative dimensions. And some will say, well, as long as it's foreplay, as long as it's building up to a completed act. But again, I think, Pam, we've lost a sense of uh, modesty within marriage. And I do notice that very many, in particular, women are uncomfortable with how far their boundaries and modesty is being pressed within the context of marriage in situations such as these. And it's, I would argue, reducing marital intimacy at times to a lower form of pleasure. And some people listening might say, well, hey, you know, this is something we've done for years. We've been told, especially by certain chassis speakers, that it's fine. But that doesn't mean just because you've been doing it and you've been told by one or two people, it's fine. That's the fullness of what, Pam, you were just talking about and understanding that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. What are your thoughts, Pam? Yeah, those are all good words to me. And I I would agree wholeheartedly. And I think the other thing is, is that you the 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 unitive and procreative nature of sex is so desperately important again it goes back to design and and what what i'm seeing if if we carry into a marriage relationship things that we may have done or seen obviously in pornography seen done but but i got to tell you of years of working with with students teenagers college students who were attempting to practice chastity they saw certain acts as not being sex and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and right. so they would, they would, they would be like, well, I can do that. And then I'm not really having sex. But the reality is behind all of it was a risk to not, they, they didn't want to risk pregnancy. So these other forms of sex, as we would say, 
would would not make them at risk for pregnancy. And girls agreeing to do things that you and I both know were painful and and not in any way unitive at all, certainly not procreative, and that were damaging to their bodies because they were trying to just meet the need of this guy and, and hopefully he wouldn't walk away from them and yet not risk getting pregnant. And and if you take those kinds of behaviors into a marriage, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just to to me it's 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 very damaging. And it's very again, when we talked about the reality that because of the way we're created and the way sex was meant to be and procreative, that that women were bearing this the brunt of the the price um then then i think you have to look at all of the sex acts in that light as well certain yes. orifices of your body were not created for things that right. would do yes. <laughs> yes and and again i think that it reduces marital sex to a lower form of pleasure and there's a discomfort 100%. on the part of so many women and i can't tell you you know I, you happen to talk about these topics more. I happen to talk about these topics more. And I'm shocked by and droves the number of people that bring up this topic to me because they're so uncomfortable with it itself, but they're uncom- within the context of their own marriage, but they're uncomfortable asking that question. And the church in its modesty doesn't really get into the details of this. But this is where modesty, mm-hmm. that understanding of the virtue of modesty in marriage, even the understanding of the virtue of modesty and the way the church teaches can be helpful in moments of these. And I know this is going to ruffle some feathers. I'm looking for the emails and the tweets and whatnot on this topic. But I hope that we can prayerfully walk through this and pray for that virtue of modesty within the context of marriage, the marital act. And for all of those who are struggling with this as a culture and a pornified culture that we're in. By the way, how to quit pornography. That was the episode yesterday on Trending with Jim O'Day. So please check it out. I'll post a link if that's something maybe you or someone you love is struggling with. But that's been Pam Stenzel with us today on Trending. Pam, thank you so much for joining us. If you'd like to find Pam in her work, find her at enlightencom.com. That's enlightencom.com. I'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. I'll be right back and we're going to talk about a comparison of how people think that a sexual ethic is comparable to genital mutilation. Not the case. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I was fascinated by a story that came out a couple weeks ago, not because I've ever watched The Real Housewives, but The Real Housewives of Dubai. And yes, there's Real Housewives of Dubai. The star, one of the stars, Chanel Ion, revealed that she survived genital mutilation as a child. She shares a tragic story of at five years old being taken by her grandmother and an aunt uh, as she grew up in a small village bordering Kenya and Uganda, and that she was taken by those family members for a female circumcision, a procedure that was done to ensure that she remained a virgin until marriage. And then when she got married and couldn't engage in the sexual act, she ended up having to have a surgery to have everything taken care of and uh, so that she could heal uh, and engage in the gift of God's, the God-given gift of intimacy. And 
I was following the story and it was what was interesting to me about it was first of all, I just want to say good for her for speaking up and sharing her story uh, about barbaric practices such as these. But what I found interesting is that people do compare something like this with a religious principle such as waiting till marriage to have sex and living up to that moral and religious ideal such as Catholics and other people of faith choose to do. And I wanted to emphasize the difference. There's a difference between physical enforcement, bodily mutilation, versus a Catholic moral principle that someone chooses to live by or is expected to live by and understands that's a part of the human design for the body. Seeing that higher calling, that pursuit of freedom and real choice and self-value, in that context, a person has dignity, a person has a value. But in the context where someone is is experiences bodily mutilation, such as this woman, Chanel Ayan, who shares her story, who's a part of the show Real Housewives of Dubai, in that experience, her being taken not by her mother and father against their will or understanding, but by a grandmother and an aunt to have this this circumcision done to ensure that she remained a virgin until marriage, that's treating a human person like an animal, treating them as if they have no free will, where the person has to be physically forced and altered to meet a standard. Not, again, where I say the person chooses freely to live up to a certain value, a certain standard. In the case where you forcefully enforce something such as this through bodily mutilation, that treats a person with little value. It ignores a transcendent dimension of the human person that not even God himself physically binds and forces us to his laws. We can freely choose not to go to heaven and be with him, but he never physically forces us to do anything. It's a choice in principles that a person lives by. And I think many people today like to think and compare and call the idea of waiting till marriage to have sex, to to call that so tyrannical and so patriarchal, as they like to say, and so forceful. But that's a free choice. That's understanding the gift of the human person. And also... Remembering as Catholics, we have the gift of God's incredible mercy in the sacrament of reconciliation that no matter what we have done, no matter what bad choice we've made, because God knows that it's hard, it's a part of our human nature, that even the human frailty and faults that we have, that God will forgive us of any wrong if we will just turn to him. And I think that's an important thing to say, especially today as we've been talking a lot about sexual ethic and a lot of the wounds uh, that can occur outside of and inside of marriage within the context of the gift of sexual intimacy. Confession is a gift. Why wait? Thank God we have that. Again, both inside and outside of marriage. Go to your local priest. Schedule a time if you need to. Hide behind that screen. You have a right to an anonymous confession. Praise the Lord. So that's just a thought or two on that topic. I do want to dive in to our topic today uh, that is so important of 
a type A woman, again, it's our we- weekly marriage hour, and the challenges type A women experience today in searching for a spouse. I was reading an article from EV Magazine. It says, if you're a type A women, woman, then you need a man who meets these requirements. And it goes on to talk about being a take-charge woman and the need to appreciate the person that you're dating and one day will marry and the need to have respect for that person uh, so that they don't take advantage of that take-charge mindset, uh, that you are able to see that other person and see that, and I think this is important within the context of marriage. I like to kind of wish at times that I didn't have that type A personality within marriage because it can make it difficult. Uh, I even just think about how it's so easy to almost bulldoze your spouse and not take their perspective or their fears or their concerns or ideas or desires into perspective and to just go. And I think that this challenge is very legitimate. And I think when you ponder, there's a lot of opportunity for virtue within the context of recognizing what you might need as someone being very type A as a woman and looking for someone to marry. So some of the guidelines that this EV magazine has diving into some of the research uh, labels a handful of things. One of the first things is that if a woman is is type A, she needs to look for for a man who's bold and decisive. And I thought this was an important thing because uh, that way a woman doesn't always feel like she's uh, the kind of the one that's being the go-getter or being dependent on to make choices. But also it shows that the man thinks through things and isn't either one irrational and just arbitrarily choosing things or too indecisive and just becoming annoying for someone who's type A. The other part is where it talks about that a woman who is type A needs to be with a man who has a plan for his life. In other words, especially what we talk about so often here on Trending, having and living a purpose-driven life where you are encouraged and and can encourage and support others to do the same. That doesn't mean that you have every single detail of your life perfectly mapped out and you perfectly stick with the plan. In fact, it's important to be adaptable, especially if you want to start a family, but that you have direction and goals and ambition and might I argue a religious worldview that holds you to a high sense of accountability in your vocation. Another goal and need that this article argues type A women need when finding a spouse is a man who knows how to stand his ground. In other words, yes, we'll put up with you and not just let you bulldoze him or not just cave to you or be pushed around, but that will challenge your pride, I would argue, and grow you in humility. I think that that's important, especially for someone who's type A. And I see this a lot in uh, marriages today where we have these prolonged single years where people are living, you know, having their own spaces, their own living space, their own kitchen items, all of these different things for their homes. And they fuse these two lives together where they've been living these single years all this time. And suddenly it becomes very difficult because each has had to figure out how to take charge of their own life. And now you're doing this together. It's a partnership. And pride has to go out the window. And I think there's a tremendous amount of opportunity for humility. I have to remind myself of that every single day. And I think that that's why this idea that uh, the person that you are going to to marry is you're equally yoked with, that they can stand their ground and and engage in those conversations, not be pushed around, not push you around, that you're able to come to a compromise, that you're able to make a decision. 
And one of the other things that is so important is it says that a type A woman needs to marry someone who pursues truth. Don't we all? Truth is at the heart of exactly who God is. God is truth himself. And this is how we will find in our relationships to know that someone's fair, honest, trustworthy, accountable, that they'll choose the right thing and encourage you to do the same. In an age where dating can be difficult, and don't get me wrong, this article scared me. It said for a type A women, experts say that finding the right guy takes up to 60 dates. I don't know that that's true, but what I would argue and agree with is that having values, expectations, and virtue for ourselves and others is important so that we can grow in humility, overcome our pride, and see that marriage isn't just about me, myself, and I. I'll be back tomorrow here on Trending talking about how to get pregnant. Believe it or not, it's a question a lot of people have. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. A very common question I'm asked by many young women today, aging from 20s into their 40s, is Timory, how can I get pregnant? It's a question some people might laugh, experienced people might say, well, let me tell you. Some might say pizza and beer. Here's the truth of the matter. Infertility is a real challenge today, especially with the delay in having children. So we're going to talk with a fertility specialist about how to get pregnant. Join me Friday, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.